0: The following program is production. Today's episode of what happened when Monday is brought to you by our friends at fullbrickhouse.com. If you're ready to own a house for only $500 down, fullbrickhouse.com is the place for you. They'll even help you cover your moving costs. It sounds too good to be true, but now you can own a full brick house, a brand new home for less than what you're paying in current rent maybe even better than that credit scores in the 500s can be approved and as always with a new home of course you're getting a bumper to bumper warranty if something goes wrong you're covered and if you're worried about your lease fullbrickhouse.com can even help you buy out your current lease and of course the very best thing about fullbrickhouse.com is you're going to be in a brand new home new is just better not only do you get a warranty you get to pick everything out You can make this dream a reality and own your very own Full Brick House for only $500 down, even with less than perfect credit at FullBrickHouse.com. All right, boys and girls, it's coming next weekend. Bruce and I will be right there on the West Coast, man, downtown Los Angeles at the Regent Theater. Saturday night, you don't want to miss it It's Saturday the 23rd at 7 o'clock Tickets are still on sale at NotARib.com And it's not a rib, Bruce, we're finally taking the show On the road and we're headed west, man You know what
1: else is not a rib is that I love L.A. They wrote about me in L.A. Because we're going to be there September 23rd We NotARib.com
0: It's going to be at 7 o'clock in the evening at Regent Theatre And tickets are actually only $32.50 where else can you get this type of humor? And we should mention, Bruce, we talk about a lot of things on the live show that we just can't do on the podcast, right, man?
1: you damn right. We're going to have a ton, a slew of celebrities from all over Hollywood. One of our guests is somebody that uh, you would never expect to show up at one of our shows.
0: Next Saturday, 7 o'clock, Regent Theater. Pick up your tickets right now, notarib.com.
1: I love L.A.
0: notarib.com. Tommy Young, you want to get out? You come over here. I want to go and do. Hey, Tommy Young, you want to get out. Suckers got the no. Hey, Tommy Young, you want to get out. You come over here. I want to go and do. Hey, Tommy Young, you want to get out. Suckers got the no. (laughs) Sometimes in the locker room, uh, do you know where I'm going with this? Not exactly. Barbarian, would go ahead. Joke around with Tommy Young, I think I know what what direction you're going. Go ahead. You would say, ah, 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 Hey Tommy Young, you wanna get out? You come over here. Oh, what you gonna do? Hey Tommy Young, you wanna get out? Suckers got the nose. Hey Tommy Young, you wanna get out? Going to come out yeah. one way or another.
2: Easy way or hard way, bro. Ha <laughs> 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 Welcome to WHW Monday. And Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And now let's go to the ring. And
1: here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey,
0: it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When Monday here on the MLW Radio Network, and of course, the master of ceremonies, the man with the plan, Tony Schiavone. Tony, what's going on, man? How are you?
2: Conrad, how are you, man? Uh, good to talk to you, and also good to talk to all the dicks around the world. Thank you very much for listening to What Happened When. We've gotten some great feedback. I want to let everybody know that I'm behind on the T-shirt calls by about three weeks. Uh, we had a, a run-on-of-the-store on, uh, so to speak, uh, on Tommy uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we had to run on the store on uh, Labor Day because they had a sale, right? So uh, I'm behind, but the calls I've made have been fantastic. Appreciate every one of them. Really, really do. Uh, and, again, Conrad, my thanks to you. My thanks to MLW Radio. My thanks to Pro Wrestling Tees. Thanks to Bruce Pritchard. Thanks to everybody involved getting me back in this business. I guess I'm back in the business. People say, hey, you're back in the business. I say, well, I guess. I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't work for a, a, a company, but I'm back in it.
0: I don't really count this, you know, this is just me and you having fun. Nobody's dictating to us. Nobody's telling us what time to be anywhere. Nobody's trying to negotiate our contracts or telling us who to put over. We're independent contractors, baby. We're doing what we want.
2: Exactly. We are free wheelers of what we are.
0: Uh, we have free wheelers. Since we're going ahead and getting our plugs out of the way right up front, how about those new shirts over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW? We had three new ones come up last week. We've got the old school I Broke Wahoo's Leg. How old school Mid-Atlantic Wrestling is that shirt, wow. Tony?
2: That's good stuff, man. That that harkens back to the day. That harkens back to the day when I was a kid and I was living in Virginia, and that shit was real to me. Uh, so that 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 one means a lot. It really does.
0: The old school Terry funk inspired dusty sucks eggs t-shirt. You're going to love this one too. It's a red shirt, white letters, just like Terry wore back in the day, but maybe my favorite new shirt suckers gots to know. We talked about this on our war games, 2000 episode. One of my favorite Stevie Ray lines. You said Stevie says it just a little different, but we went yeah. with it. And, uh, some listeners actually suggested we should make it in the old NBC style the more you know, back when they were doing their PSAs during their heyday of the 80s and 90s, well, we did it. And you can check this out over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And I feel like between those three shirts, low-key Big Hog, easy way, hard way, you pick, and Tommy Young, we've got like our our best six shirts ever.
2: I agree. And let me say something about Tommy Young. You do realize that his name will never be said the same ever, ever again.
0: Yeah. And I started to feel a little bad about that because over the weekend I was blown up on Twitter by people who had listened to Stone Cold Steve Austin with Brian Kendrick break down the greatness that was Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair back in 1989 and Tommy young of course was the referee for a lot of that. And so as these guys are talking about the little nuances that make the match great they continually say Tommy Young and all of our listeners at home, Tommy Young,
1: <laughs> yeah. you know, so shout um, out to Tommy,
0: don't. uh, Tommy, we're having fun. I know that yeah. barbarian, well,
2: you know, yeah, uh, look, we're, we're having fun. We are not sullying the name of Tommy Young, no. Tommy Young. I've said it before. There was no better referee in wrestling, none better. And he made the match and he was not only, he only made the match. He was a great guy and it still is a great guy. Sure. And I would love if you and I get a chance to go out live again, would love to have Tommy young come to our show.
0: Yeah. And and I think he would have a good sense of humor about it. I feel like we've taken a little bit of heat on this, but we never said Tommy young did anything salacious. It was, it was a funny rumor and innuendo through wrestling. It was a funny story and it's grown into the life of its own and, so much of our show is just tug and cheek, and I hope you guys at home aren't taking everything we're saying literally. We're just trying to make you laugh and entertain you, and let's keep it light, boys and girls. Don't uh, harass Mr. Young and ask him for an H.J. You know <laughs> what I mean? Please don't. I mean, like, I know yeah. that's funny. You, you can ask Tony for one. We get the joke. <laughs> yeah. But if you yes. just approach him cold, he's probably not going to know what the hell you're talking about. So,
2: Right, right.
0: You know, uh, we're off to a little bit of a weird start this week because I'm feeling a little under the weather and, and some bad news has come in. We normally tape this before now, but we're actually taping on Sunday night. You guys are going to be listening on Monday morning and the news has just broken that Bobby, the brain Heenan has passed away. And we recently talked a a great deal about Bobby Heenan here on the show. And you know, not all of that were the the happy memories because he once upon a time had a little bit of a, an issue with Tony Schiavone I don't know when we'll talk about him again, Tony, but would you like to say anything, because obviously all wrestling fans tend to agree on this. Bobby Heenan is one of the greatest of all time and certainly the very greatest manager, but one of the more iconic personalities of most of the listeners childhood.
2: It, it breaks my heart Conrad, because I know Cindy, his wife, I know Jessica, his daughter, and I feel for them. I I've often felt for Cindy because of how uh, sick Bobby had been and how his health had taken a decline uh, the number of years. Uh, And and this breaks my heart. When I think about Bobby Heenan, I think WCW Monday Night Show and Bobby Heenan Heenan were synonymous. Uh, I said in a tweet that he was one of the reasons and maybe the reason that Nitro was as popular as it was. He and Gorilla Monsoon were wonderful on primetime prior to that. Uh, and you're right. He was the greatest manager of all time. You need to go back sometimes to see how good he was. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what matches it is, but I'm sure it's on YouTube when they were having a tag team match where he and another guy were wrestling someone else in a midget. Have you ever seen that? No. And the bumps that he took for the midget was high comedy, right? Absolutely. High comedy. He was so good. He had such a great, he had such timing. We had so much fun with him, not only on set, but we had fun with him traveling the roads. Uh, and it's torn a piece of my past away. It has, and it breaks my heart. And I and I feel for the family, and for all the fans that he had out there, and he had a lot of them. Yeah,
0: you know, you can't say enough about Bobby Heenan. I'm not really sure what to say. You know, I, as a wrestling fan, I've I've spent my whole life as a fan of him, and it feels like I knew Bobby, but I didn't know Bobby and I I feel like a a lot of wrestling fans probably feel the same way as us right now.
2: Bobby, uh, Bobby was a uh, hard man to get to know. He really was. But once you got, became one of his friends, he was a very, very good friend. And and yes, we had problems, but I think close friendships do. I really do. I don't know of any friend that I've had that I haven't had a little problem with. Um, and that's just the way it is in your life. So, uh, it's a big void in wrestling and it was even a big void in wrestling, uh, during his illness because we were not be able to, we're not able to see in autograph signings and appearances, the Bobby Heenan, we all knew and were entertained by. Right. Um, so it's, uh, it's today, Sunday, as we're taping the show, it's a very sad day in wrestling.
0: Well, let's try to, uh. To deliver what we promised, and that's uh, what won the poll this week. And we encourage you to help us shape the show every week. If you haven't already, follow Tony on Twitter. He is at TonyShivani24. I am at hey, hey, it's Conrad, and of course, our show is at WHW Monday. And there you'll see that we're putting a poll up, and we're going to have a poll for you this week as well. Uh, but what won this week is all about the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And we usually approach this show one of two different ways. One would be we would isolate a single performer and go through every great moment of their career. Another would be we would talk about one specific incident, one specific moment in time of pay-per-view in great detail. And then there's sort of what we did with Bobby the Brain Heenan. And we just talked about Tony's experience in working with Bobby. And that's kind of what I want to do today. And we were really particular about the way we kind of structured this on the poll We're not going to cover every great moment in Ric Flair's career, because frankly, we'd be here until December instead, we're going to sort of talk about Tony's experience in working with the greatest of all time, the nature boy himself, Tony, let's sort of start at the beginning, I guess. When did you first meet Ric Flair
2: first met Ric Flair in 1983. It's a a well-worn story. If you uh, saw uh, the interview they did with me, uh, in the NWA fan fest back in 2016 and I think we may have mentioned it on the live show, may have mentioned it here. I was an announcer uh, for the Charlotte O's run by the Crockett family. I was employed in 1982, and I was a big wrestling fan, had been a big wrestling fan. Now, honestly, uh, by the time I graduated in college in 1980, uh, and then I married Lois in 81, and by the time 82 came around, I had kind of drifted away from Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling because I had moved into... Being busy, having a life, trying to start a family. Matt had been born. Uh, so, yes, I am on the air.
0: But tell her, you know, tell her to keep yelling and interrupting. That's fucking fine.
2: Uh, can you stop this, Conrad? She's. Uh, I need to to get talk her through putting Apple TV off the air. She's and her show's getting ready to come on. And if she doesn't watch that show, shit's, my life's gonna be shit for a week.
0: Shit's going down.
2: Yeah, shit's going down. Can you just yell to her, or can you go Yeah, I'll it? just, okay. And, yeah. Here we go. No, shit. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> she just slammed the door and said, "Ah, oh, fuck it. Uh, okay. No, no, you need to go fix that. I gotta go fix this. All, All right. right, hang the fuck on, motherfucker. It's not like I do a podcast every fucking
0: day. This is real life, ladies and gentlemen. So that was Tony stomping up the steps. I've never given play-by-play on a divorce before. How different am my podcast, man? We would never do this on Bruce's show, but you guys love some Lois. Doing a podcast, just talking to yourself
2: would be hard. Who am I going to yell at? Button. And how many times have we said, you know, just push the all button? All right, all right, all right. Just don't let it happen to, again. And you need to find that uh, other. This one's a piece of shit. Have a nice day. Come here, bug. Get away from that woman. Jesus Christ. Are we still on the air here?
0: Yes, sir. We're back. <sighs> what show were we afraid of missing? Outlander. Okay, I, I have no Third idea. Season of it. Yeah.
2: She's knitting uh, scarves based on the show.
0: She's making fucking <laughs> scarves? Yes. And what do the scarves say? Or I mean, do they have yeah. phrases no, on she, them?
2: Actually, look. 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 Wasn't this supposed to be a Rick fucking Flair show? We'll get there. Woo. Woo. Okay. Uh, she, uh, she's very talented. Okay. Uh, and she's been knitting scarves based on the movie Outlander. Thank God she's doing something, Conrad. Fuck.
0: And that's, and gonna, they're going to be based on the show. You're saying?
2: Yes. There, there's a, there's was a book. I got her one of these books for Christmas. It was an Outlander book. Uh, say you just uh, you got me
0: excited there. I thought you were saying about our podcast. <laughs> I thought no. she was somehow making like a slap dick, you know, <laughs> scarf, and I'm like, dude, that's gonna be just in time for Christmas. We've been hawking yeah. T-shirts this whole time. If okay. we can get, if we can get this hooker making afghans, we are gonna print money. But
2: <laughs> yeah, like a gigantic penis that you wrap around like a scarf.
0: See, look at the money ideas that are just flowing out of us right now.
2: No, this is based on the the movie Outland or the series Outlander, which okay. is uh, so. That's it. Where were we?
0: Well we were talking about Ric Flair in nineteen eighty
2: three. Yes. So so Rick Flair so when I got to Crockett Park and I and I knew that Francis Crockett was with the Crockett family, knew all about him. I took a I took it upon myself to tell Francis, Francis, I'd love to do wrestling. I want to do wrestling. There's got to be some way that you can let me get me involved in this. They they must need another announcer. And and Conrad, I was making and I had one kid, uh Matt was born. In the summer of 1982, I had one kid, and I was making $12,000 a year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, I, and I said, you know, and, and I could use the money, and I know they would be paying some extra money. I went to Channel 36, I believe it was, whatever, one of the TV stations in Charlotte where they were taping at that time, Mid-Atlantic and Worldwide Wrestling, talked to David Crockett. David was friendly, but he had nothing for me. And then one day, coming in from a sales call, Francis Crockett, this was in October of 83, uh, Francis Crockett said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, come in, sit down. She's probably going to ream my ass out for not uh, not selling enough fence signs, program ads, or whatever it was that we were selling, radio ads for the radio broadcast. And she said, well, they do need an announcer to do some work for them. And I said, as in Jim Crockett promotions, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. She said, yes, and you need... To go tomorrow to Ric Flair's house and do an interview with him about an upcoming big event that he has. And it was like, holy flying fuck. Right. I mean, I knew who Rick this was a big deal for me. Sure. And I have never I honestly, I've never, ever been nervous about doing anything in my life. I've been excited. You know, some of the big Nitro shows, I always was pumped up about it, but I was never nervous. I never got the idea when I was looking in a camera or talking to a microphone that there were, you know, thousands or millions of people on the other end. I never got that. That never never bothered me. But I was nervous as fuck that day or that night. I went home, and I literally, literally did not sleep. So I went to Ric Flair's house, walked in. Don't know which house this was of the many that he has had. uh, And... (laughs) He said, Ric Flair, and I remember thinking, you don't have to fucking introduce yourself to me. Uh, And we did an interview about a flair for the gold, Harley race, Thanksgiving night, Greensboro Coliseum, and a shot at becoming the world heavyweight champion. And that's when I first met Ric Flair, and I had a day to prepare, and it wasn't like I didn't know who he was. I knew who the fuck he was, and it was a big deal for me. It was... It'll go down as one of the the most memorable parts of my life by far.
0: There's a pretty famous photo that's floated around in the most recent years. I believe it's from a a, a magazine and it's got a lot of the horsemen. I know Tully's there. I know JJ's there and I know Rick and Arne are there and they're all kind of in a cul-de-sac and they've got their belts and Arne's got on some like short shorts and Rick's got the big gold belt. And in the background, I believe is Flair's house at the time. Is that the house she went to?
2: No. I'm thinking that was that was around the offices of Jim Crockett Promotions. I, I'm not sure. I'd I'd, I'd I'd have to see it, okay, to know.
0: It's like a gray siding house.
2: Uh, okay, no, I don't know.
0: All right, Well, it doesn't matter. So l- let's talk through, um, you know, Flair and his legacy in the business. You know, at that time, because obviously now he's an elder statesman and uh, you know he's just a legend and everybody respects him. But in '83. You know, that's sort of when Flair was at the tippy-top of his game and was one of the biggest stars in wrestling, and you had been on the other side of the guardrail, so to speak, as a fan, and you grew up in that mid-Atlantic territory. What were some of your favorite Ric Flair memories prior to actually being inside the guardrail?
2: Well, I remember the, the, the most famous one, and our buddy Dick Bourne, and we talked about this, will echo this, was the blackjack mulligan hat and robe angle. I remember an angle where he, uh, Wahoo McDaniel, showed up on TV one time and said Rick Flair had hit him over the head with a two-by-four, and Wahoo said, I know there were some nails in it, and let's go back and show. And they used to have, when they would go to the Greensboro Coliseum or the Dorton Arena or to the Charlotte Coliseum back then, and they didn't have a TV taping, they would always have a camera, of film, black-and-white film, or well, a film camera uh, just on the ring, single shot of the angle that they would show. And I remember Rick Flair, Cracky Wahoo over the head with that two-by-four, and that, to me, began that angle. It may have been long before that, but that's what began that angle. So I remember Rick Flair with Wahoo McDaniel. I remember some things Ric Flair did with uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper when Piper and Flair battled for the U.S. Heavyweight title. Uh, and again, that was probably like 82, so that wasn't when I was really, really fired up about wrestling.
0: We well, invited you to participate online. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's at WHW Monday. Lil and Ash want to know can you discuss Flair's legit heat with Hogan after the legit leather strap hits David Flair took?
2: No. No, I cannot. I was removed from that situation. I, I look, I, I when, when there was When, when there was legitimate there was, heat between guys. You
0: were dodging that shit.
2: Yes, I was. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Why why would I get involved in it?
0: Yeah, you wanted nothing to do with that shit.
2: Yes. It's it's I was I was involved in storylines and what happened on TV. If you go if you were mad at this guy, fuck, leave me alone. I don't want to hear about it. That doesn't surprise me. Okay. So when I went to James Madison University in the late seventies, I had a couple of scholarships. Which afforded me money to buy books with, just spending money, okay? To help you with the the cost of college. And I was living on campus. And I took uh, some of that money a number of times and took a Greyhound bus from Harrisonburg, Virginia, to Greensboro, North Carolina, to see Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And a Greyhound bus, it's not a direct route. You know, it's like an all-day freaking thing. Sure and uh, flair was uh was one of my favorites i still say that rick flair and greg valentine against the anderson brothers thinking it's 1978 for the world tag team championship was one of the best matches i'd ever seen as a fan four-way juice i didn't know what the i didn't know what four-way juice meant back then but i do now four-way juice tremendous heat four guys who knew how to work they didn't have to choreograph a fucking thing and they had a great match uh and so i I remember that uh and of course i remember when flair put ricky steamboat over on television to become the world television champion it was steamboat's first title and it 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 made steamboat began making steamboat a big star i remember going to the greensboro coliseum seeing ricky steamboat and rick flair in a cage match 90 minutes and they worked ninety minutes to a ninety minute draw. I remember that as a fan.
0: Uh, Michael Norton wants to know: Did uh, you ever see Flair get into a real life fight?
2: Yeah, and I, I did. I did as a uh, as a fan back in nineteen seventy eight, Harrisonburg High School. Uh, Flair and Greg Valentine were taking on Johnny Weaver and Paul Jones, and a fan jumped on the back of Greg Valentine out of the stands. And when that fan jumped on Greg Valentine's back, Valentine shook him off and flair beat the living shit out of this kid to the point to where the guy's friend was going to jump in. And then he realized that his friend was getting the shit beat out of him and he took a powder and you all of a sudden realize it was a real fight at that time. And I'm that happened many, many times when guys got involved. And of course that was back in the seventies. These days it's changed a lot, but I've I've seen him beat the fuck out of fans who wanted to get in the ring. So anyway, what I got out of of that interview with Ric Flair, I remember Rick saying, "You know, you did a hell of a job." And he was talking to Jackie Crockett, and he said, "Jackie, this this guy did this guy's could help us out a little bit." And I remember thinking, "All right, I, I wasn't going to do it for free, but I didn't care right then." Sure. And uh, apparently, what happened was, uh, Rick uh, went to Jimmy and said, "You know, we got to give this kid a shot." He's really good. He's got a pretty good presence on camera, and I thought that was probably because I wasn't—I uh, was nervous with him, but I was never nervous in front of the camera. So a week later, Frances Crockett called me back in, and she said, "All right, well, they want to use you some more now to go down to the, the studio and and uh, or to the office and do the uh, the the promos, the local promos, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to be." caught between me and my brothers. They're going to want you to do wrestling. If it continues to go this way, I'm going to want you to do baseball. It did pull me away. But the point is to the story is that Ric Flair going to Jimmy Crockett and David Crockett got me in. And I've talked about being in the backstage the first time it was Ric Flair. that got me in. So I, I owe him so much. And that's how I first got to know Ric Flair.
0: As a fan, did you prefer Rick as a baby face or heel?
2: I preferred him as a babyface. Um, I, I was very much, you know, they all they often say, they would always say that the best time to turn uh, someone babyface is when he's red hot as a heel. Uh, I often believe that. That was when they turned blackjack babyface. Uh, and I, I liked Ric Flair as a babyface. And, and, and I think that uh, his ability to talk, his ability to work, made him a baby face even when he was trying to be a heel, the heel persona.
0: 36 years ago today, September 17th, 1981, Rick Flair defeated Dusty Rhodes to win his first NWA World Heavyweight Championship. You were still a fan at the time. Um, how big of a deal was that for one of your favorites who you had been following kind of through the ranks as a television champion on up? To now finally beat Dusty Rhodes, who was a really, really big deal anywhere he went, Florida, Georgia, Mid-Atlantic. Sure. And he Rick Flair finally becomes the world champion 36 years ago today. Do you remember as a fan what that
2: meant to you? Well, I remember Rick walking on television with the belt and Bob Cottle talking about him being the world champion. And I remember thinking that, you know, this guy's a big deal now. And I also thought as a fan... Because as a fan, you'd love to see new faces, and that's what kept territories fresh a lot. They would rotate guys through. I remember thinking, well, now we'll get to see more of Dusty, or we'll get to see more of maybe of Harley Race, or we'll get to see more of other guys from around the world, because now the world champion is based out of the mid-Atlantic region. So I thought that was a big deal for, for all of us as fans to be able to open it up to that. And I, I guess Jim Barnett booked the world champion back then. He was the guy that booked the world champion.
0: Let's talk about, you know, your early memories of, of flair and uh, being on the road with him, because I'm sure that, you know, once you get the gig in 83 and that you're no longer on the fan side of the spectrum and now you're, you know, working in the business, flair is still probably somebody you looked at as being a little larger than life and somebody from television, so to speak, even though you were there with him. Do you have any fun or interesting early travel stories or, or memories of working with Rick very early in your career?
2: Well, I, I do remember, first of all, I, I became Rick Flair, started me, got me in the door, uh, but I befriended more than anybody else. And we've talked about it on an earlier episode Arn Anderson. And Arn and Rick became very close. So I started hanging out with Arn. We would go do TV. At places that were drivable from Atlanta. Greenwood, South Carolina, Shelby, North Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Sometimes we would even go up to like Catawba College up north of Charlotte and do these TV tapings. So we would do them on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, and I would hop a ride with Arn, or, and of course, Arn was a little bit later on, but Tully, and I would hang out with those guys, and we would always swing by Benikins which was a restaurant bar that we had near South Park Mall in Charlotte. We'd always swing by there before we would go home. I never was able to afford, because of what I was making, I was never able to afford to pay for the drinks, and Ric Flair always bought every drink for everybody. And, of course, the more you drink with these guys, the more you open up and the more you get to know each other, and... And that's how we kind of became friends by making those stops at Benikins. There was one night that I had driven back with Tully, and we met Flair at Benikins, and we were throwing them back. And I, I didn't live far from Benikins at all. And Tully said, "I'll take you home." He had a big blue Cadillac back then, and I had I and Lois locked me out of the house. Wow! Uh, and that's the only time it's ever happened. And So I go back the next time I see flair and I think maybe this happened on Tuesday. I think maybe the very next day, uh, if I remember this right, I I know I do. Uh, We go to the office the next day and I tell flair what happened. And flair says, what's your number? And I said, like my phone number. He said, yeah. And he went to an office phone and he called, he said, Lois, if you're going to blame anybody, it's going to be me. And as long as he's, he's with me, I'm going to take care of him. Nothing bad is going to happen to him. And, you know, they they immediately struck uh, a pretty funny relationship at that time. Uh, so uh, he always kind of took care of me. Did you get any so hall passes after that,
0: was, that? Did I get what? Did you get any hall passes after that, as long as you were hanging <laughs>
2: through? Yeah, I, I think so. Isn't that amazing? I, the worst know, I, I, person did, I did a very be. good job of keeping Lois away from the business and keeping her pregnant and out of my way.
0: Well, that you did. You were putting a lot of miles <laughs> on that thing back then.
2: <laughs> yes, I was, man. We had uh, Matt in 82. We had uh, Laurie in 84, Chris in 85, and the twins in 87. So through the 80s, we were. she was pretty much knocked up.
0: So your first big super show with Rick is probably Starcade 83, right? That's correct. So that would be the time that Rick wins the world title for the second time. And, uh, it's a pretty big deal. You know, it's, it's the first, it's the, the kind of first foray into pay-per-view. And of course, pay-per-view didn't really exist back then, but Starcade even predated WrestleMania. Catch everybody up on your memories of starcade 83 and a flair for the gold with Harley race and Ric Flair.
2: Well, starcade 83 was, was kind of like an extension of, the biggest day in the business, which was always Thanksgiving Day. And Thanksgiving Day at the Greensboro Coliseum was always a big deal to the point to where I had gone to Greensboro, to the Coliseum, maybe four years in a row at one time. I'm thinking like 76, 77, 78, 79. Those four years in a row had gone to the Greensboro Coliseum as a fan watching The Biggest Night in Wrestling. So now they were making this a little bit bigger, or they were making it even bigger, uh, and they were going to close-circuit it to some of the other venues that were part of the Crockett territory. Uh, I didn't realize it at this time, but apparently that was a, this was an idea of Dusty Rhodes. And I remember going in the back. Now, I had been doing some backstage interviews, so I had been smart enough to the business, and that's the first time I saw Dusty. And I got talking to Dusty a little bit, and Dusty was telling me these interviews he wanted me to do. And I was thinking, what what the fuck is Dusty telling me what to do? And I didn't realize that he was apparently, uh, apparently this was, I don't know if it's well-documented or not, but apparently this was kind of a tryout to see if Dusty would become the booker right. or the Crockett's. Right. It's a big deal. So, what's that? It was a big deal. Oh, yeah, you're damn right it was a big deal. And I was working with Bob Cottle. Met Bob Cottle for the first time ever, working with Gordon Soley. Holy shit, Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley. And I did an interview with, uh, and I'm doing this by memory, I did an interview with, uh, I believe, Harley Race, and I think Dick Slater was in there, and maybe Bob Orton. Uh, I did an interview with, uh, after they uh, gashed uh, Scott McGee the hard way and blood all over him and uh, Angelo Mosca. I did an interview with flair when he won the title. I was holding that microphone for him and steamboat had something to say to him as well. So I was backstage during all of that, those big things going on. And again, I wasn't nervous, but man, I was so fucking excited about being right there and being in it. And I, and I, I kept thinking that man, three, or four years ago, I was out with the fans and now here I am here. And, uh, and it was it was a it was a big deal, and it was a hell of a match. It really was. And if you go back and you watch that, uh, the uh, the ring, uh, the mat had a lot of blood on it that night. A lot of blood. Uh, it was a it was a great event, and it's an event I'll never forget for many reasons.
0: Well, and I think most people, you know, really remember Starcade '83 for being the Ric Flair moment, and he had such a big moment in the ring after with, you know, pro wrestling illustrated covering every inch of this. And of course, you know, all the baby faces are in there to celebrate this big win and some country music stars. And, uh, it was a really, really big deal. And I, I, we've, we've often heard about the relationship that Harley and flair had, can you speak to what Harley and flair's relationship may have been in that moment? Was there any sort of, uh, contention between them about, you know, kind of passing the torch or did Harley not view it as that? Did he feel like he was being phased out? Can you speak to that?
2: I can't speak to that because I, I wasn't privy to when they would get together and talk the matches. Uh, but I, I can tell you that that Ric Flair, you know, viewed Harley Race as one of the greats of all time. So Ric Flair did not take it lightly that he was becoming the world champion at the expense of Harley Race. Uh, but I did not see those two talk that night together. Nor did I see them shake hands afterwards. Chris Blackstock
0: wants to know who made the best-looking woman: Ric Flair, Ronnie Garvin, or Bobby Heenan?
2: Uh, I thought Ric Flair in drag was very attractive.
0: Oh goddamn!
2: <laughs> what? Uh, you, why? What, what? What do you want to hear from me? Ask me silly-ass questions.
0: Well, I mean. Ben wants to know why the shit did we not get more flair on commentary? I don't know, Ben, but I love when anybody phrases a question and the first three letter, first three words are why the shit, why the shit did we not get more flair on commentary? Ben, did flair not have any confidence in it? Did he not like the way he sounded or, uh, or why didn't he just sit in and guest more?
2: Because he was more, he was better at cutting a promo and having a purpose and having, uh, a conflict than he was being able to try to sell someone, uh, and do a running commentary.
0: Now, Tony, I know you weren't there, but one of the things a lot of wrestling fans have, have debated for a long time now are the title changes that happened in New Zealand and Singapore in March of 84, the very next quarter, we would see Harley beat Rick in New Zealand, but then Rick would beat race in Singapore just a couple of days later and neither one of these title changes were ever really acknowledged by the NWA or talked about on TV. Was this something that you would have been privy to? Is it something the boys are talking about, or is it just something since it was a different era? You know, the news never got back, so it didn't really matter.
2: Yeah, no, the, it, the news really never got back, and it was just another piece of business, Conrad. Uh, I think fans sometimes read too much into the stuff. Yeah, uh, it was a way for. The fans who were in New Zealand and Singapore to feel that they've been a part of something. But as a result, Flair was still the champion. Uh, There was talk about it, doing some interviews in the backstage area. uh, But there was nothing major made about it. So I don't think it was a big deal.
0: Another one of the really big moments um, was the Parade of Champions that goes down in May of 84. And this is for world class, of course. It's right after... David Von Erich had passed away and Kerry would win the world title from Rick here in Texas Stadium. You weren't at that show, right Tony?
2: I was not at that show, no.
0: W- would that have but, been something that you guys would have talked about beforehand? Was it kind of common knowledge that this was going to be, you know, just a nice gesture and, and yeah. a cool
2: moment? No question. Flair was very close to the Von Erich family. I don't know if fans realize that or not. He was uh, and and I got to know uh, Kevin and David. I, I never knew Kerry, but I knew Kevin and David quite well. And so he was close to the family. And, uh, and And you know, you and I' have talked about this before, how what world-class championship wrestling meant to promoters and to the regional business. It was a big territory. right, a big place to go. And I had seen now some angles that Flair had done, and Flair had made some money down there. So it was a big gesture, and it was a big time. Have you heard the uh, the David Von Erich Ric Flair story from Japan? No. Okay. So Ric Flair, one of the things about Ric Flair is, and this is one of the things you got to realize about him when you become one of his friends, you probably know this as well as anybody else by now, is that he would love more than anything else to see you get drunk yes, and make an ass of yourself.
0: Yes, it's his very favorite thing in the world.
2: That, that's his favorite thing? You're exactly right that entertains him. Uh-huh. Okay. You and I can be entertained. Let's say, I don't know, reading a book, jerk, jack- jacking off, whatever Flicker gets his yeah. jollies by seeing a, a person, a friend he knows. So anyway, so he had a friend of his in Japan and a lady friend and she had a lady friend and they were going to get this lady friend hooked up with David Von Eric. And they did. And the four of them went out. And as the legend goes, Rick Flair got everybody smack ass drunk to the point to where David and the girlfriend that they had hooked him up with had no knowledge. Well, they were, they were blacked out drunk. All right. Ric Flair buys a room at a hotel, takes David and the girl up to the room. Don't know how he got them up there. Takes off all their clothes, puts them in bed, leaves David with his cowboy hat, takes all their clothes and leaves. And David wakes up as the story goes in the morning with a woman that he didn't recognize, no way to get anywhere. So he takes a bed sheet and wraps it around him, puts his cowboy hat on and walks out the hotel. (laughs) Ric Flair has fucking has, has struck fucking again. It's a legendary story of the business. I mean, he, that's that's what he did. I mean, that's how he loved to get people drunk. And then Arn Anderson would always say, "Well, of course he loves to get people drunk because, I mean, he he, he orders all these kamikazes, and as you're pushing them back, he's dumping them in the in the plant so he can stay sober and watch you get shitfaced."
0: Now that's something that's been out there for a long time. Did you ever see Rick do that?
2: What? Uh, no, I never did see him. No, I never did see him dump it into a plant.
0: Now, me not at all. I mean, I, I've seen him leave some on the table, but I've never yeah. actually seen him commit alcohol abuse where he's dumping them out. Come on. What's going on? With that?
2: <laughs> that is alcohol abuse. But you have seen the round high top bar tables that are so full of kamikazes and shooters that you can't fit another glass on it.
0: Well, he doesn't drink those these days the, you know, more, most recently he's not drinking at all anymore, but well, of course, most recently, of course, he, uh, he was more the Kettle One cranberry or uh, yeah. every now and again, but most of the time it was kettle one and soda.
2: Right. Uh back then it was Stoly Seabreeze that yeah. he liked a lot too. He, so um, yeah, he was always a vodka guy. So but anyway, that was him. I mean he loved to get people drunk and he and he loved <laughs> people so fucked up. That's probably uh, you know, if you think about it, go back to the time I was locked out of the house, that was probably part of that. Let's see, you know, we're going to really indoctrinate this little uh, fat Italian into the business by getting him locked out of the house because hey, we all have, right? So uh, and that David Von Erich story is a is a legend story. Uh and David did all he could do, wrapped up in the sheet, cowboy hat on, walked out of the hotel.
0: Starcade eighty-four uh is the next time we see, you know, a really prime time match with Ric Flair, and it's the million-dollar match here with Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. And the referee is professional boxer, smoke Joe Frazier and yeah. Joe Frazier stops the match because the dusty's bleeding. And there's been a rumor over the years that, uh, Joe Frazier was potentially in line to do more business with the NWA and dusty Rhodes, but for whatever reason, this finish didn't go over that great. What can you tell us about the finish of this match and the way Rick felt about it?
2: Yeah. Rick didn't like the way the, the, he didn't like the finish. And he didn't like the finish for the following year, the Starcade '85, when, you know, uh, I guess Dusty had won the title, but then Tommy Young was knocked down. Go ahead and give me a Tommy Young. Tommy Young, thank you. Was if you'll recall, Starcade '85, Tommy was knocked down, and he called for the disqualification. Dusty had the belt, and they gave it back to Rick. Those two Starcades '84 and '85, if my memory serves me correctly, Rick Flair was very upset about the way business was done back then, because those were screw job finishes, right? Right. Uh, I don't think there was ever a plan that I knew of. And of course I was still kind of a novice to the business back then. I don't think there was ever a plan for Joe Frazier to get involved in wrestling. Really? Yeah. It to me, it was just, it was to me, Joe Frazier was put in that spot because in boxing, if you bleed a lot, they're going to stop it. And he was a name and him stopping the match because of blood just seemed to fit with the boxing way of doing things. So I never heard anything about Joe and you probably have about Joe becoming a pro wrestler.
0: So Tony, you've told us a lot of stories about partying with the nature boy. And we've heard that, you know, on this show pretty much from the beginning, but you've also told me that Rick had some moments of clarity over the years Catch me up on, on what you mean by a moment of clarity.
2: Anybody who was close to Ric Flair and I feel like that I was as as time went on, uh, Flair would have what he would call moments of clarity to where he would stop and say out loud to me or Arn or whomever, I can't do this anymore. I can't live this lifestyle anymore. I'm going to one of the one of the times he would said, I'm going to go down the straight and narrow. And he would take his, his hand like a tomahawk chop, right? Right. Go down the straight and narrow, straight and narrow. And then we would all say, yeah, you're full of fucking shit because we know how you are, but he would be serious. I'm I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to work out every day, straight and narrow. Then, then he would go (laughs) up and we'd be in the backstage area and as he would walk in, there would be guys in the back, you know, going straight and narrow, straight and narrow, you're full of shit. Okay. And there, there was a couple of times where one time he said, that's it. That's it. He said, he looked at me. He said, I'm going to make you a deal. We're going to handshake on it right now. I said, okay, what is this deal? He said, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to tone up my muscle. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to eat right. And you and I are going to work out every day. Come over to my house and we'll work out. Shake on it. Boom. We'd shake on it, and we'd do it for about a week, and then the second week, Flair wouldn't show up, and he had a nice little gym in the back of his house there. Uh, There was one time when, uh, and he was working with the Junkyard Dog, and he was really, uh, this was like in the 90s now, early 90s, Uh, and he was working with the Junkyard Dog, and, you know, working with the Junkyard Dog, because Flair took pride in what he did, and And J.Y.D., although he was a great character and a good guy, was not a good wrestler. And and Flair would have to work with him on top every night, and he was traveling. And he pulled in, and he was, like, really pissed off. And we were in the backstage area, and we were getting ready to do some interviews. And he told Arn he said, fuck it. Fuck it. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this travel. I've had enough of this lifestyle. I'm changing my life right now. And Arn Sanderson said, get a hold of your fucking self, Beak. I like the lifestyle we're leading. So get in there and do the fucking interview. So that that happened four or five times that I knew Flair, that all of a sudden he would, you know, sometimes personally you and I will say, maybe within ourselves, oh, we got to change the way we do this, or we'll, we'll second-guess ourselves about what we're doing. Flair would do it on a public stage to the boys many times. And it got to be where it was almost kind of a rib. And I really think that flair really believed it at that time that he was going to change his ways. Right. But he never did. And it became kind of a running joke. So the Ric Flair moments of clarity were, uh, were a lot of fun because I seem to, and I'm sure he had more of it than just with me, but I can remember four, maybe five times where he, I mean, we shook hands on it one day. He's going to work out. I was going to be the guy that was going to guide him. I was going to be the guy that was going to keep him on the straight and narrow because, Hey, he's just a little fat fuck. And I've got this place where he can work out, and I know he's you know, he's kind of an organized kid. He'll keep me on the straight and narrow. Well, it didn't last long at all.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that did last long is Rick trying to keep the bar open. And I've seen him do that many times where last call gets extended a few times. Yeah. And right. I feel like everybody has some sort of Marriott story from back yeah. in the day with Rick Flair. Do you have a, a Marriott yeah. story you could share with us?
2: I have the most famous one of all time. I have the Ric Flair slash Black Scorpion slash Terry Runnels slash Tony Schiavone, St. Louis Marriott airport story. Can't beat I have this. the most famous one. Let's okay? do it. I it got to a point. Now we're talking 1991 now. And I mean, I had gone through the eighties kind of hanging out with Flair and Arn Tully, Barry Wyndham. Uh, and then I went and worked for events for a year and I started traveling with Vince on his private plane with our good buddy Bruce Pritchard and Kevin Dunn. So I kind of removed myself from the boys because I wasn't traveling with them anymore. So I came back. I kind of started hanging out with, traveling with the announcers and not traveling with the boys anymore. But Flair would always say, Shivani, tonight we're going to do something. And I would say, you know, go fuck yourself or whatever. I'm not going to do that. So he called my room at the, uh, After Star-K, when he became the Black Scorpion, and let me say this, if you remember the Black Scorpion, Flair fooled absolutely no one when he walked out with a mask on. Of course not. And and why was that? Because that 15-inch beak was sticking out of the front of his mask. I love that. And everybody went, woo. So he fooled no one. So he, he called my room, and he said, I want you to come up here a second. And I knew he was very drunk. Uh, I can't remember where I had been or maybe I had stayed at the building late or whatever. And I said, I'm not coming up. He said, if you don't come up, I will find out where you are and I'll come down and embarrass your ass. So I said, okay, what room number are you in? And so I went up to his room. The door was ajar. You know, you can stick the thing in the door. Sure. You open the door. He said, come in. And I came in. He had the mask on. And he had the robe on, and he said, in the black scorpion bullshit voice that Oli really did, he didn't. He said, Sting, how can you contend with this? And he opened up the robe, and he was butt-ass naked, but he had a hard-on. Oh, my gosh. Okay? And if anybody, this was my, Conrad, this was my first time of seeing the baby's arm. Oh. First time. Okay? And un- it's really hard to describe it. Uh, really
0: hard how they, to describe how, it. Listen, listen to you.
2: It is it, for somebody who has nothing but a little half inch Vienna sausage like I do. And somebody who had only seen things like this in, you know, in porn, in porn movies to see something this big and this large, it, it's kind of shocking. Uh, you know, Arne Anderson described it as a baby's arm holding an apple. Right? My goodness. Yeah. Uh, it, it was. It was just shocking, and he he was giggling. And I don't know. I don't know how he got it hard. And he clo- he closed it up again. And he was so drunk, the weight of this robe that he had, I guess Olivia made for him, uh, was so heavy that it was pulling him down right and left. Sting. How can you contend with this? And he's laughing. And of course, he had you know. He was bleeding a little bit from, uh, I guess trying to do a blade job through a mask or whatever. And, and I said, you know what? Uh, this is very entertaining for me. And to be honest with you, champ, cause that, that's, that's always called him champ. That was my word for him. Champ. I said, to be honest with you, champ, this is funny, but fuck you, I'm going to bed. So I go downstairs and now I get another phone call and it's, uh, Terry Runnels. This was prior to her being Terry Runnels, prior to her being Marlena. Sure, uh, she had just worked for us, uh, and I think maybe this was the uh, during the Alexander York years. Maybe she's Terry
0: uh, Terry Boat right here,
2: right? Terry Boat right here, right? Terry calls me, and she says, "I'm up in Rick's room," <laughs> and I said, "What the fuck are you doing in Rick's room?" Uh, and she said, "Well, I was told that uh, we were going to we were going to go to a party." And I was putting my bag in Rick's room. I said, okay, whatever. She said, Rick's not here, but he's got a couple of friends here from Charlotte and they're worried about him. And I said, I said, he's drunk beyond belief. She said, I know. And I said, last time I saw him, he had the robe and the mask on, but he was butt naked. And she said, well, he doesn't have the robe and the mask on anymore, but he's butt naked and he's running around the Marriott naked. And they want you to help him help them find him. So I said, "All right, what the fuck?" I mean, you know, he's he's meant so much to me, and now I'm going up the elevator, thinking I'm 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 going to be chasing around Ric Flair butt naked at the St. Louis Marriott. Sure. And I go in, knocked on the door. Uh, there's a couple of friends, and they're like really worried. And uh, there's like three of them, I believe. I don't even know who these guys are, but he had some friends from Charlotte that hung out with him. A couple of them ran uh, outside down the hallways looking for him. Nobody could find him. Nobody could find him. And I finally said, fuck this. Uh, if you guys need any more help, I'm not just going to stand in a room with my hand on my dick while you look for a naked Ric Flair running around. I'm going back to my room. If you need any more help, let me know. Well, they found Ric Flair, and they put him in his room. They tried to settle him down. Everybody went to bed. We're talking like 3 o'clock in the morning now. Everybody went to bed and Ric Flair decided one more time he was going to go out of his room naked. Well, he did go out of his room naked. He no longer had friends in the, in his room helping him out. Everybody was gone and the door shuts behind him. And at three thirty in the morning, the St. Louis Marriott, when most people are either, you know, in another room or in bed and left him alone, he is locked out of his fucking room, butt naked, but naked. So what does he do? He, can, he does the only thing he can do, he's going to get security to come down, and apparently goes down the, as the story goes, goes down the elevator, uh, and he, the elevator opens, and I know how the elevators were. The elevators were, you would go out of the elevators and look to your left, and there was uh, the, uh, the front desk. And he just kind of peeked around, and he saw somebody at the front desk, and he said, could you come here a second? And the guy said yes, and he came over, and the guy, and there was Ric Flair. Rick said, I've been locked out of my room. And he said, I'll get security. And they did get security, and they got a female security officer to take him to his room, butt naked, and shut him in there. And that was the famous uh, Marriott story. It was just kind of fun and games, you know? Sure. Uh, there's another story, too. Uh, Rick Flair called me to his room again <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why i kept saying okay i was I'll, about I'll, to ask like, why do you keep doing this i don't know maybe i just because i love the guy you know i don't know and you know after seeing uh, the baby's arm for the first time you know you never know what you're going to see right so what the hell so uh i knock on the door and he comes to the door and i'm telling you the baby's arm is in full regalia it's boom but a boom we we are we, spending of,
0: a lot of time talking about Rick Flair's penis on this show so far. <laughs>
2: okay, there's a he's got a a glass of champagne in his hand and he says, "Come on in, I have nothing to hide," and he's slap ass drunk. There's a girl on the bed. He said, "Shivani, mm. this is Jennifer, whatever." She goes, "Hi, I said, how you doing?" It's <laughs> just like as awkward as shit. So he goes on the other side of this girl
0: Mm.
2: and I'm standing there, I mean I'm of course I'm being entertained. This is like real life porn, right? He goes on the other side of the girl, he gets down and he starts with the cat bath. Mm. All right. So now I'm looking at Flair and I'm looking at his nose over top of the girl's pubic hair. Okay. (laughs) Giving her a cat bath, and he's so drunk that his eyes are starting to roll back in his head. Okay. And she's selling it like, a, as as we used to say, selling like a fuck, fucking auctioneer. She's selling it, and she grabs for me. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I jerk away thinking, there ain't no way that I'm going to get involved in this, especially since she's probably had the baby's arm, and the only thing I got is a Vienna sausage. So I said, hey, guys, I got to go. Uh, good seeing all of you. I got to go. And I, I walked out. So that's a memorable moment of being around Ric Flair
0: to say the least.
2: Mm-hmm. My, these are all yeah. true stories. These, I mean, these are, these are true stories. And again, it was, it was part, it was part of his charm. Isn't this, is that stupid to say that he was a fun love? people always say to me, what type of guy is Ric Flair in real life based on what we see on TV, same guy, the absolute same guy. The, you know, I, I traveled a lot of times. Conrad as the, uh, as the uh, ring announcer with Jim Crockett Promotions, I really enjoyed it. And Flair, you know how Flair used to do the uh, the death walk and fall flat forward?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Flair Flop.
2: The Flair Flop, okay. Well, I knew it was coming because he would say something to me in the corner, and then they would throw him in, and he would do the Flair Flop, and he would walk towards me with his eyes crossed <laughs> and flop right in front of me. We were in San Francisco one time. I was doing the ring announcing in San Francisco. We were on... Fisherman's wharf and we were walking around and this is back when, before Fisherman's wharf, Fisherman's wharf now is kind of like a a mall and it's all, all cleaned up. But this is back when it was really Fisherman's wharf and you could get some, uh, seafood and you could walk around eating, uh, clam chowder or whatever. And I was worried because, you know, we're getting close. We're not too far away from having to be in the building. Right. And we're all together. And I remember saying, you know what? Champ, we got to. Uh, don't we have to get going? He said. Are you having a good time? I said, Yeah, I am. He said, Yeah, I'm having a good time too. He said, They ain't going to start this fucking show without us. And we showed up the building very late, and I was the ring announcer. That's the kind of uh, fun that we had with Rick on the road, and that's uh, one of the reasons that when I heard he was sick, uh, that I got to the hospital in a hurry because the way I feel about him.
0: Well, he's kicked out, you know, and he's doing much, much better now. And and I'm glad we're able to kind of relive some stories from the good old days. But let's talk about some maybe not so good old days. You were there when he had, uh, I don't know, a less than favorable experience with Jim Hurd. What can you tell us about Rick's time, you know, that you were with him during the Hurd era?
2: Yeah, well, Rick didn't like Jim Hurd and Jim Hurd didn't like Rick. Uh, and I guess the reason that Rick didn't like Jim Hurd was because Hurd always said that he was tired of the Ric Flair look and was tired of the Ric Flair gimmick. It wore on him. You know, forget the fact that he drew millions of fucking dollars and he, made, he was a big part of the business. He thought the Flair gimmick was tired. Right. And he wanted to cut his hair and he wanted to have a diamond ring. Diamonds are forever and so is Ric Flair and change his look completely. And Flair did cut his hair if we'll recall. Sure. But Jim Hurd did not have any experience in the business, and he managed by chaos. He managed by confrontation. Uh, and Flair hated it, and, but Flair, the businessman that he was, did what was asked of him. Uh, and uh, obviously, it... It didn't work, and it was not a good time for him, and of course it, you know, it led to him leaving. I mean, let's face it, he if he he was tired of Ric Flair, right? Right. He ran him out of fucking town. Uh, it's it blows my fucking mind. It blows my mind to go back and think about what he did to Ric Flair and what he did to the business. Uh, and it took us quite a long time to recover. I, I really think that. Flair leaving us uh, in the early 90s took us a long time to recover. Uh, We were going down the shitter big time.
0: Why do you think um, Flair wasn't able to, I don't know, massage the situation more? You know, the reputation that Flair had in the business is that Flair knew how to play the game. And so Flair, you know, would find a way to be in the right place at the right time and befriend the right people. But it feels like here with heard, you know, some of the charm that he had with Vince McMahon or some of the charm that he had with, you know, Bob Geigel or Sam Mushnick or, uh, obviously Jim Crockett, some of that didn't translate to Jim hurt. Yeah. Do you believe mm-hmm. it was because Jim didn't understand who Rick was or, Rick didn't respect that he had no wrestling background or what do you think about that? Because Rick's a salesman and, and before Rick was a professional wrestler, he was a salesman and I've always found that odd that Rick couldn't find a way to navigate that and just play the game a little bit.
2: Well, he could play the game Conrad with guys who were in wrestling. All the guys you talked about, Bob Geigel, Jim Crockett, you can put Eddie Graham in that if you want to, they were all diehard family involved in wrestling. Jim Hurd was not a wrestling guy. So the flair charm and the flair able to massage a situation did not work with Jim Hurd because Jim Hurd had no inkling about the business. He had no, when it comes to business sense for wrestling, he didn't have it. Right. And th- there was no way to massage that. Uh, listen, personally, Jim Hurd and I got along because I always try to get along with everybody. Uh, and he uh, jim heard was uh was yeah he 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 and I you know as everybody did because he ruled by chaos but it heads but we got along but flair just kind of had enough of it and you know they even had flair try to be the booker at one time uh which didn't work because Rick that just wasn't Rick flair right to, to be the booker you you gotta you gotta want to sit down and spend days at this shit. And Rick didn't want to do that. I mean, I don't know how many times that I will be in there when Flair was in charge of the booking meeting and Flair would get up and walk out for no reason to be gone for like 30 minutes. Uh, and he would call someone out. He said, uh, Mr. Barnett, can I They always Jim Barnett? They always call him Mr. Barnett, Mr. Barnett. Can I talk to you outside? And he would walk outside and I'd say, We're in the midst of another kayfabe sidebar with Ric Flair and the, uh, the booking meetings were just fucking chaos. We, we got nothing done. Uh, and, um, so uh, again, he could, he could massage a situation with the guys who were entrenched in wrestling and knew what Ric Flair meant to the business. Jim Hurd didn't know that at all.
0: Right. Well, let's talk about somebody else that Rick didn't get along with once upon a time. And that's of course, Eric Bischoff, and I know we're going to cover this in long form, uh, at some point, but when do you first remember the rumblings that Rick was really not getting along with Eric and things weren't going as planned because, you know, early on, it feels like Rick is helpful in getting Lacho man over and getting Hulk Hogan over and helping get Bobby Heenan and guys like that over. And then all of a sudden, um, He finds himself on the outside looking in, so to speak.
2: Well, let me, let me say this. I, when you say outside looking in, what do you mean?
0: Well, there's lots of rumor and innuendo that Eric Bischoff would hold meetings and say nobody in here sold, you know, drew a fucking dime in the business except Hulk Hogan, macho man, and Roddy Piper or whatever. And Ric Flair sitting right there in the room. And so there's lots of rumor and innuendo that he was just not, Rick's, you know, it wasn't Rick's cup of tea. It wasn't, it wasn't Eric Bischoff's cup of tea. Rick, yeah. Eric didn't get
2: Rick. Well, Eric didn't get Southern wrestling and Eric didn't get Jim Crockett promotions and Eric did not get, uh, what, uh, world championship wrestling had been prior to that. And I guess he felt that Ric Flair was a part of that, uh, that old school Jim Crockett promotion, Southern wrestling. You know, I mentioned before on this program, Uh, When I mentioned one time that, you know, we had war games at the Lawrence Joel Memorial Coliseum in Winston-Salem, and I mentioned home of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, that Bischoff flipped out. He flipped out. He said, don't say that. He said, I I said, why? He said, because no one gives a shit about ACC basketball and Wake Forest and the Demon Deacons. And I said, well, I'm saying Winston-Salem, North Carolina. You want me not to say that we're in North Carolina? What the fuck? And, uh, so uh, Eric saw that, but I often thought that, that a lot of that was just a lot of, um, I, it's rumored in you do I know, but I always thought it wasn't as bad as it was portrayed by the dirt sheets. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, i I'll, again, you know, Ric Flair had to approach Eric a little bit differently. They had to approach the old school. Uh, uh, promoters and he had an approach different than than Jim Hurd who just didn't really have a clue as to what's going on but Eric still had a pretty good uh, head for the business and uh, the, I mean it, look Ric Flair wasn't the world champion <laughs> all the time each and every waking moment that Eric Bischoff ran the company but if you kind of go back with the exception of a couple times you know, Ric Flair was really involved in a lot of the major angles right all the way to the end Right. He was the president. Wasn't he? he was in charge of the company. He took over the company from Eric Bischoff as well, it were.
0: Well, there was that time he sent him home and sue him and Bischoff held the meeting saying, I'm going to make it my personal mission to drive Ric Flair into personal bankruptcy.
2: Yeah. I see. I, I, I was not, I did not, I did not hear that. Well, but sorry,
0: you, I did. You called the big return when he came back that night in, in Greenville, South Carolina all the horsemen are there in the ring, in the tuxedos. Flair cuts the crazy promo, fire me, I'm already fired.
1: Fire me! I'm already fired! Fire me! I'm already fired!
0: So it feels a little weird for you all these years later to say, "Yeah, I don't think it was that big a deal. Because as us well, to us as a fan, it was a really, really big deal.
2: But look, but he's back on TV and... There's a lot of angles and a lot of working going on. I, you know, we're, I think we're trying to, maybe I'm wrong. I just think we're trying to blur the line here between reality and, and wrestling. And uh, I remember Eric Bischoff wanting to drive a stake through Vince McMahon's heart. I was there during that speech at the target center, Minneapolis, but I don't remember him wanting to bankrupt Ric Flair. I don't remember him saying that you
0: don't remember the whole story about the plane and them wanting him to come to thunder when he was taken off to go watch Reed Russell. And then the big fallout and Rick was just off TV for, I don't know, eight months or so.
2: I do not. Okay, cool.
0: Let's talk about some of the more, uh, interesting moments when Rick was a booker, because, you know, Rick always denies that he wasn't really the booker and he didn't really have this influence and. Some of that's overblown, yada, 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 but then others would say, oh no, he was there and, uh, he had some controversial takes from time to time. Do you remember there being an incident where he maybe clashed with a talent you could share with us?
2: Yeah. I I know the, the, the famous clash with Paulie dangerously that Flair wanted to come out and say something during the promo, uh, Paulie didn't do it. Uh, and Flair was, uh, you know, talking to court out who the hell is this guy? Uh, who is he not to do what I've told him to say and Flair fired him and then goes in his office and Heyman and Flair get into a shouting match and things are thrown back and forth. And I remember that. Uh, I, I know there's stories that Shane Douglas felt like Ric Flair held him back. Uh, and I guess Scott Hall even thought that at times, too. Uh, but I, I I don't know what Flair never did want to be a booker. And he was pushed into the Booker, and he was kind of on and off again. Booker, uh, it it seems like Rick's attention—you know how Rick's attention span would be—it would be on a certain event or a certain show, and then he was off doing something else again. So the uh, it was kind of a disjointed time when he was the Booker, and I guess guys resented that, and guys thought that he was not giving them the push or the attention that they needed when in effect it was Ric Flair not being able to pay attention uh, one thing to the next a lot of times. It was just how Ric Flair was.
0: Do you remember Rick um, being enamored with a talent and wanting to push a guy or an angle, just having an idea one way or another that really got shot down despite his best efforts to sell, whether it was for himself or someone else?
2: He, He was always enamored with Steamboat. Because he and Steamboat did great business together, right? Uh, I, I think it was that. I I, I think he was uh, he always enjoyed working with Steamboat, and I, I I often thought that he had a a fondness for Vader, and Vader being a super heel, or and you know at times a partner. So I think he had a fondness with him as far as it being shot down by somebody. I'm not so sure about that.
0: Do you remember there being any sort of uh, weird, uh, I don't know, animosity between Rick and dusty over the years? Because it feels like at times they had an on again, off again relationship. Sure. And of course yeah. later in life, you know, they were best of friends, but it wasn't always that way.
2: No, but look, anything, is, uh, anything that, uh, I found out about my years in and out of the business, Mostly out of the business is that time heals all wounds. Sure, it really does. And uh, you know, I had I had arguments and uh, run-ins with Eric. I had arguments with Jr. I'm talking on a personal level. Uh, I had arguments with Dusty, but they all were smoothed over. Uh, and we talked about at the top of the show uh, my problems with Heenan. Now, I I do know that there was a lot that Dusty did a lot of his bookings, because I traveled with Rick and Arne and Tully that they didn't like. And they were pissed off about, and they thought that Dusty was continually putting himself over, putting himself in the main event and making himself look good at the expense of the horseman. But in reality, if you think about it, it was doing business, right? Right. But I do also remember Rick Flair and Dusty Rhodes, Many occasions after having a big match, hugging each other in the backstage area, and talking like they were the best of friends. Right. So I don't know if what Rick was and Arn and Tully were saying was legit, or if Rick really did care for Dusty. Was I kind of got I got mixed signals on that a lot. Now in uh, in the Great American Bash when we toured the stadiums. Uh, Dusty beat Ric Flair at the Greensboro Coliseum for the world title and they hugged and then Dusty, uh, dropped it to Ric Flair at the Fulton County stadium, dropped it back to him a couple of days later and they hugged and I was in the backstage and it was good business both places. I think Rick saw himself as more of an athlete than Dusty was looked better than Dusty. Sure. I'm just freestyling here. Uh huh. Uh, and maybe that, that upset him. I know a lot of fans never thought that Dusty was the greatest worker in the world. He had a great sense of timing. He was entertaining. Was he the worker that Ric Flair was in the ring? No, of course he wasn't. But Dusty and Rick had some pretty damn good matches. Oh
0: goodness. Together. Yes.
2: Yeah. I I mean, there was no question what, what Tully thought about him. Tully didn't like him at all. Now they may have made up or they may have gotten along, and Tully. And Dusty had a pretty good run as well. It's a crazy business, Conrad. Man, I mean, you just hear so much shit, and I know you read so much, and there's so much written, and and guys who write about the business get this story from this person from this perspective and this story from this perspective. I can just tell you that Ric Flair was a tremendous performer, and he was put in the spot to be a booker at one time, and that got him heat with a lot of guys because guys are, are worrying about themselves. They're looking out for themselves. And they're feeling they're being short-sighted by Ric Flair. Do I think that Ric Flair actually intentionally tried to bury people? That may have happened. I just can't believe knowing now I know Ric Flair that he would really try to do that to anybody.
0: Yeah, it's hard for me to imagine, too. I mean, I I do feel like there is the attitude in wrestling of let's always look out for number one. And I know that the guy who gets painted with that brush the most is Hulk Hogan. Do you recall what Hogan and Flair's relationship was like to the best of your knowledge?
2: I thought Hogan and Flair's relationship was very good. Hulk. And again, time heals all right. Right. Uh, Hulk is one of the uh, Hulk came to see Rick in the hospital. Uh, Not many people have, I mean, some people have, but Hulk Hogan is one of them, one of the first ones, let's say that came to see Rick in the hospital. Uh, I thought they liked doing business together. There was that personal pride. Or that ego that Hulk Hogan was a star of the WWF and Ric Flair was a star of the NWA. And that always, I guess, kind of got into their. They both had big egos and kind of got into that. But I never did see them have problems with each other. I never did listen. I never did hear Flair talk about Hulk Hogan the way he had talked about Dusty in private at times.
0: Let's talk about Rick's personal life, because once upon a time, all of a sudden, through some... I don't know, weird circumstance. David yeah. Blair finds himself in the business and we haven't spent much time talking about David. Was that Rick's idea, Eric's idea? How did David come to join the business?
2: I think, uh, Rick had approached his son. Would he like to get into the business? And David did want to get into the business, but WCW wanting to make a splash quickly used David's name to push him to the top or towards the top. David was not ready for that. We all know that. Uh, and he was put into a pretty tough spot. And uh, I mean, there's been the wedding with Stacy Keebler. Uh, there was the stuff with Kimberly and David was not ready for it. David wouldn't have been pushed along so quickly had his name been, I don't know, Thompson, Shivani, Smith, but it was Flair and it was Flair's son. And he was put into a pretty, pretty tough spot because of who he was.
0: Tony, I feel like shit today, so uh, I'm going to give us the go home signal, as uh, Steve Austin likes to say. We'll we'll finish up with some questions, but first, um, I've got here a Baltimore story. It feels like everybody, at some point or another, has a Baltimore or a Sabatino story with Ric Flair. Yeah. Can you give us one? Do you happen to have one on standby?
2: Yeah, well, Rick would always invite us. To go out, and I say us, he would invite me to go out with him to Sabatino's. So we went to Sabatino's and we were all just full and drunk, and we went. Rick had a a suite in Baltimore, and it was probably the Marriott, downtown Baltimore, and we were all in the suite, and there were a lot of people there, and there were a lot of girls, fans, whatever. And I was across the room, and Rick was in the bedroom. This big, it was a pretty large suite. Rick was in the bedroom and he stuck his head out the door and he looked at me and he said, come here a second. And of course, just like I did get in the elevators in the St. Louis Marriott and the time he had the girl in the room, he calls, I'm coming. And I go across the room and he said, you see that girl over there? And I say, yes, I do. He said, tell her I need to talk to her. And I walk over and this girl who's, I'm not going to say she was a rat, Conrad, Let's just say she was a fan who was hanging out that night. Okay. okay. Groupie. All right. Hanging out that night. I said, my dear, uh, Ric Flair, the world heavyweight champion would like to talk to you. And of course it's like, really? Yes. We walk over to the room and Ric Flair, whose who's head is kind of sticking out the door says, my dear, would you put a sock on this? And he opened the door and there was the baby's arm at full attention. Uh, That happened a lot. And it seemed to happen a lot in Baltimore. And I guess if I had something that big, maybe I would be proud of it as well. I I feel like
0: we need a shirt that has like your cartoon face with a thought bubble above it, and it's just a baby's arm holding an apple because we have never had more penis talk on this show than today. I mean...
2: Well, listen, we were talking about Ric Flair... And you knew damn well it would be. You know he's got a thirty for thirty coming up on ESPN, and I'm on that thirty for thirty. Uh, I, I've talked to the producers about it. They interviewed me, and and I did as Ric Flair told me, Tony, you made the cut. Oh my God, what are we going to be talking? We talked about Ric Flair's penis on the thirty for thirty, and and I and Rory, who was the the uh, director, the director. I remember saying, Rory. Why are we talking so much about Ric Flair's penis? He said, because everybody that I talk to has a Ric Flair penis story. My goodness. And, and it's, it's like Arn Anderson said one day, he said, don't, don't you think that everybody in the business by now has seen the baby's arm and Flair would laugh. You know, what's he funny exposed himself. I he heard loved it.
0: I heard somebody years ago say that you don't really know Ric Flair unless you've seen his penis. And, uh, I'm happy to say that I don't really know Rick Flair and I'm not upset about that. Really? Uh, let's get to some questions. Maybe we'll have oh, some more.
2: Up. Hold on a second. Flair kicked out. He's pulled through the last time I saw him a couple of weeks ago. He, I mean, he is remarkably kicked out. He's in great spirits. I know, I know he'll be glad to show it to you and you and I we'll go there together. And I'll ask him to show it to you, okay?
0: No, I'm good. I appreciate no, that. I,
2: no, you got to see it, man. It, look, look, it's, it's no. like doing your first blade job.
0: I'm good. I, you know, I, I'm a podcaster. I'm not in the business. I, I think there's some things that should be for the boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. And when it comes to seeing Ric Flair's penis, I'm going to say on this side of the guardrail. Okay. But, you know, if you want to go and feed it a peanut or something, I, I <laughs> welcome you. So let's get to some questions. We we in that popped Tony. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. It's at WHW Monday and uh we asked, Hey, got any questions for us? What would you love to ask Tony far away? Gary Blonde wants to know, how drunk is Lois right now? Uh
2: let's see, we're doing on a Sunday night. Uh she is okay. She's not too bad right now. But catch her on a Friday or Saturday night, and she's pretty loaded. You know what she does, Conrad? Well- she she comes up with this gimmick. She, she she's not fooling me, you know. She uh, she had asthma when she was younger, and she feels that the best medicine to help her breathe during the summertime because of asthma is Jim Beam mixed with honey and lemon.
0: Wait 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 wait. She drinks okay. Jim Beam. Yeah, I love Lois so much more right now.
2: Yeah, and listen when she when she goes, she buys the big bottle, you know, with a handle. The on handle, it, yeah, of, yeah, of Jim Beam. And, she's, and she'll, she'll be up there. She'll go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I said, you better get a shot of liquor in ya. you. You got to breathe. She's not fooling me. And I'm telling you, she will, she will down them. She will, she will down a bottle of that shit with honey and lemon. So uh, she's not drunk right now, but give her time this weekend. Next weekend coming up, she'll be very drunk. Hey, right. it's how I got her pregnant all those times. Well, I as she, long as long. she has said, you know, she said, uh, I slept through labor. She slept through conception.
0: <sighs> Brian Klast wants to know, who'd win a chicken fight in a swimming pool? Tommy Young on Barbarian's shoulders or Tony Riding Bitch on Medusa's shoulders?
2: Oh, I, oh man. I, I think that uh, Barbarian and Tommy Young would win. I think because, so, too. Because my my mind would not be on a chicken fight at that time.
0: And Tommy's got a hell of a grip. Matt Coon (laughs) wants to know, um, of anyone living, is there anyone that would be a a better hire or bigger asset to WWE developmental than Ric Flair?
2: As far as, you know, you're in charge of all these guys and you got to file these reports and you got to do these things the correct way. Let's see, like a manager's job. I don't think he'd be very good at that, but I think he'd be very good in lending a hand as far as doing promos, as far as, uh, being able to call a match in the ring, being able to work, being able to sell all that.
0: You know, before he passed away, um, Dusty Rhodes would do promo class and uh, all the young talent would learn how to do promos from Dusty. I think Rick would be phenomenal at that and just helping the guys really embrace their character and sort of double down and go all in. I think just as an instructor, you know, hanging out at the beach down there,
2: he'd be awesome. Yes, he would. And I don't know why they don't use him. And maybe when the when he uh, gets through all of this, maybe they will.
0: Nicholas Weinland wants to know: Are you and Flair Eskimo brothers?
2: <laughs> no, uh, uh-uh, not at all. You're sure? Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, Gary Blonde wants to know: Rumor is Rick had a not so low key big hog. How many times have you seen it?
2: Oh uh, boy! Well, I, there's like four or five times we've talked about it so far. Uh, I saw it probably. I don't know, five or six times a year. Most of the time was inadvertent. And <laughs> uh, and a lot of times he just wanted to show it to. You I, just,
0: I feel like you have a Groundhog Day story, like with Ric Flair's penis. It's like, right. well, I saw it six times. It's going to be a long winter. <laughs> you know what I mean? What the hell? Yeah.
2: it's. I mean, look, if you hadn't seen it, he would be glad to show it to you. Right. He would.
0: I, 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 I'm going to have look, to take your word for it.
2: If if I had something that size, I may have been the same My way. Goodness.
0: Joseph Reed wants to know, can you tell us of an act of kindness that you've witnessed from nature for someone else? Wow. That's a pretty good question. You know, we don't get questions like that all the time. And I hope this yeah. is coming from a good place because I have seen it. Fire down. Give us some good examples of things you've well, seen Rick do nice.
2: I uh, Again, when you went out with Rick Flair, I mean, I never saw him give money to charity or, or, or uh, help a kid off the street. But when you went out with Ric Flair, he took care of everybody. And he had a great heart. And, again, he paid for everything. He wouldn't see to it. At any, he wouldn't allow you to pay for anything. And he wanted to make sure, when you were with him, that you had a good time. It, it goes back to that story I told about San Francisco. He just had a great heart. And uh cared about everybody that was his friend and made you feel welcome. And that was amazing to me because he was bigger than life and is bigger than life. That somebody like that could be so caring. Uh, you know, uh I knew Hulk Hogan, he, and Hulk Hogan's a nice guy, but he wasn't like that to me. Uh I knew Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty Rhodes was a very nice guy and caring, but no one was as caring to me and to my family as Ric Flair was wow. when he met my kids, he made my kids feel welcome. Uh, he all, we would go to parties and he would make Lois feel welcome. And he and Lois got into some really verbal back and forth that were hilarious, but he would always just make everybody feel warm It was just a warm, made everybody feel welcome. So,
0: um, let's go to uh, Michael Jordan on Twitter, probably a different one. I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh what was the overall reaction when Tommy Young had to put Nikita's junk away after Flair's suplex at Starrcade 86?
2: Uh well, I, I think of that that escaped a lot of people at first, uh but then when we saw it again, everybody kind of popped. Uh Tommy did a great job. Do you have you seen it? Um yes. Yeah, see well, he, he that that's how good Tommy w- was. T- he just didn't sell it. It was as if he was just flicking a fly brushing something away, and he kept the match going.
0: I wonder if Nikita had to say, Tommy Young, you come (laughs) over here. You put my hog up. You think he had to?
2: No, I don't think he, but that would be, in this day and age, that would work.
0: Uh, Brian Boyd wants to know, what's the best rib that Rick ever pulled on you? Yeah,
2: well, the best rib Rick ever pulled on me was was the time where he called me and he had a girl in the sack and sure. the baby's arm was glistening and
0: Can you give us another gl- good?
2: R- the baby's arm was glistening. My,
0: I don't know what we're doing at this point. Well, um, I feel like it's letters to pit house, but it's just all about a dude's penis. The entire show.
1: Hey, it's, I, it's, it's part gonna, of
2: his charm, Conrad.
0: I'm going to name this episode Rick Flair's penis. It, just, it's part I, of
2: him. It. It's look. It, it sounds stupid. It at sounds times. like you wanted It to sounds be a part ridiculous, of but it's part of him.
0: It sounds like you wanted it to be a part of you.
2: <laughs> no, not in the way that you're thinking, motherfucker.
0: Chief Seattle wants to know, how long would Lois last in a figure four, and would she flip it and make Rick tap out?
2: No, she wouldn't flip it because I'm not so sure she can flip anything anymore. Uh, she would hang in there quite well. She would hang in there quite well. She got big legs on her. I thought she big, strong legs. I bet she's good at flipping quarters, that Jim beam,
0: <laughs> Charlie Edwards wants to know, should John Cena be a 17 time champion? I know Rick, he has said, okay, he's okay with John being the man. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you think that, you know, at this point, Rick's record is probably one of the only ones in wrestling that people still talk about. He's tied with John Cena. Now happened to Royal rumble earlier this year. Do you believe that John should be the guy to break it? Obviously it's a different time. It's a different era, but what say you, is this a good record to be broken? Or does this one deserve special designation to the Ric Flair?
2: I say it doesn't matter. I really do. I say it doesn't matter. And I know with some fans, it does. It may with Ric Flair, but does it really? Ric Flair is going to be Ric Flair, regardless how many times he held the world title. Right. He's always going to be a bigger star than John Cena, and John Cena is a big star because Ric Flair was bigger than life. I never was all hepped up into how many times he was the world champion, and I hear that on the WWE all the time when they talk about Randy Orton being how many times he was world heavyweight champion or so-and-so, how many times he was, what the fuck does it matter? It's a work. Right. If it was a shoot, maybe it would be a little bit different, but it's a work.
0: Do you think that, um, really, do you think that Ric Flair is a bigger star than John Cena?
2: Uh, Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, Charlie Edwards. In, okay, no, wait a minute. In wrestling, yes. Cena may be a bigger crossover star because he's he's become somewhat of a movie. Well, he is a movie star. Not on the, the level of The Rock, but he is a movie star.
0: What's your favorite John Cena movie?
2: I haven't seen a John Cena movie. Yeah, he's not a movie star then. Yeah.
0: Charlie Edwards <laughs> wants to know, what's your favorite Rick ring attire color combo? Uh,
2: I always liked the green robe.
0: And w- which one? He's got two. He had the one that had like the fur on it and that had the lion and the cheetah. And then he had the one that had the big peacock.
2: Yeah, the one that had the big peacock. That was my favorite one.
0: I feel like all, you have morphed in the Klondike Bill since we last spoke. You just wanted to say <laughs> so the I, word cock. Just,
2: just because the big peacock. It was, you know, the big peacock. It was glistening. Was the best robe.
0: It was glistening. It
2: was uh, glistening.
0: One of the best questions we've got right here. You know, we got lots of questions about him being uh, a bit of a ladies' man. Best pickup lines?
2: Uh, no hair, no flair. Uh, so, School, yeah I saw I here. saw on a limousine one time uh, a girl take off her pants and she had no hair and there would be no flare
0: so she takes off her pants he tells and the limo to pull the pull the car over and tells her to get out
2: uh it's before we pulled out of the parking lot
0: and then he says get out
2: yeah he said it had no no't anything to do with it
0: you actually witnessed him throw a woman yeah. out because there was no hair yeah now that is the flare story that everybody has listened to. So far. I mean, okay. that's what they needed.
2: This yeah. The, it's, it's, that's it's, the I mean, highlight. Let's roll credits. Okay. He, he was never, he wasn't mean about it, but darling, you know, that's not for me. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I love this so much. It was worth it. Uh, hearing you salivate over there for an hour was worth it. Uh, yeah. Sal- n- n- yeah. I mean, it's mouthwatering, glistening. I know it didn't happen often, but any good Flair getting rejected stories, nobody bats a thousand.
2: No, no, if if he got rejected, he didn't sell it. As far as everybody knew that was Ric Flair's friend, he was batting a thousand.
0: Uh, Was there anyone in uh, Crockett, WCW or WWF that you know of that Flair totally refused to take a loss for? You know, I think this question comes to us because most people know that Flair was down to just about do whatever. You know, whatever you right. needed him to do, he was going to do. Um, yeah. was there a situation where you remember him saying, Hey, I ain't doing that.
2: No, never, never remember that situation.
0: Adam B is clearly a long time listener. He gets it. Did Ric Flair ever go out on a night on the town with Klondike bill?
2: No, they were, uh, they were different eras as, and, and I'm going to say this as kindly as, uh, as I can. Rick Flair had a certain standards. Sure. Klondike yeah. Bill had none.
0: Yeah. No, I get you it. You know,
2: size, hair, personal hygiene, lack thereof. He's good to go. Good to go. Flair was not like that. He had standards.
0: <laughs> uh, Cabe wants to know, how many times did you actually see a patron ride Space Mountain?
2: Uh, uh, none. Never saw it. Robert well, wait a minute wait a minute I saw the cat bath yeah we talked about that earlier but I I didn't see the actual riding of Space Mountain although when he came to the door and it was glistening oh, God. I know that R- the had-
0: the <laughs> were there <laughs> any wrestlers in Jim Crockett or WCW you wished Flair had a program with but never did
2: wow that that is that's a very I always thought Flair and Tully would have made a great program uh Because Tully was such a great athlete, a good athlete. And Tully wore the robe. You know, he had a black robe. uh, And he was kind of Flair-like in the way he talked and the way he presented himself. And uh, I always thought that uh, Flair and uh, Buddy Landell would have had a better program if Buddy would have, you know, stayed on the straight and narrow and stayed stayed in it.
0: Let me freestyle that I would have liked to have seen the 1993 version of Cactus Jack against Ric Flair really in an extended feud. And I know that for whatever reason that just wasn't going to happen. And there's lots of rumor and innuendo that Flair just didn't get it and didn't see him at that level. But I thought Flair's or, or, or his stuff with Vader cactus Jack stuff with Vader and Flair stuff with Vader was so awesome that it would have yeah. been cool to remove R- Vader from the situation and just see how Flair a more traditional quote unquote technical style wrestler would have handled the madman that was Cactus Jack in 93. That could have been super fun. Absolutely. Uh, GP Absolutely. wants to know, uh, has Rick, man, we got one fucking wrestling question. We're back to this. Ha, has Rick ever taken Tony and or Lois to Space Mountain? <laughs> I guess it's a better question. We know that the answer is
2: no, but yeah.
0: has Lois seen uh, Space Mountain?
2: No, she hasn't.
0: So it's just reserved she, for the she boys. She wouldn't be at-
2: impressed by it anyway.
0: It's not. She would not. It's not really no. her speed.
2: No, she, she, she doesn't sell that shit. Nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, at this point, she doesn't even know yeah. how to drive a stick, right? She's just
2: automatic only. Exactly. She's she doesn't give a shit. She doesn't give fuck all about fuck all. She doesn't. That's uh, my wife.
0: Well, I mean, that's why you married her. Emmanuel well, wants to know what's your, what's the favorite match that Flair had that you called your favorite Flair match to call. What was it?
2: Wow. My favorite Flair match to call. It would be uh, Star K93 against Vader. You were just talking about Flair and Vader, some of the great stuff that they did. That would be the one.
0: Yeah, I think that that match is still pretty criminally underrated. You know, Vader had been positioned as this unstoppable monster, and Flair was kind of, can he pull it off this one last big win? It's funny in hindsight, you know, a lot of us thought this is going to be it, not knowing. Nope we got 15 more years of this. We're good to go. Right. But the nature boy is, uh, he's going to be here forever, man. You know, there was the thing in the the nineties, that Hulkamania is going to live forever. It certainly feels right now like Ric Flair is going to live forever. And I'm okay with that. Aren't you, Tony?
2: Absolutely. I am. Ric Flair had a profound impact on all of us. Uh, me as a fan, me as a, as a wrestling announcer and me as a friend going forward. Uh, He had a profound impact on a lot of guys who watch the business. Thus, he's having a 30 for 30 done for him. Uh, You can't say that about many wrestlers, right? Or any,
0: any, this will be the first time. Exactly. And he's got quite the story to tell. And there's going to be another chapter now about him kicking out, uh, from death here. So it's a big deal, you know, for him to be at death's door. And now, you know, he's back moving around and he was our, our motivation for, for putting that story was the motivation to put him on the poll this week. And and we want to know what you want to hear about next week. Tony, do you have any suggestions for next week's poll?
2: Well, Conrad, uh, have we talked about my time at the WWE? We have not. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it'd be a, a good idea for me to talk about. Now I know we did in Dallas yeah, on the live show. Uh, in front of whatever hundreds of fans we had there that night but we get a lot of downloads thousands upon thousands of downloads a week uh, I had a I had a, a listen I'm not angling for a job here motherfucker I know it's what you're going to take out of this but I had a great year in the WWE I really did and I learned a lot about television production in the WWE to the point to where I came back WCW is pretty much of a television snob like that's not the way they did it in connecticut what are you fucking idiots in the south doing uh i learned a lot from vince traveled with him for a year i got to meet some really fine people really hard-working people and learned a lot and i'd like to talk about that i think that would be a, a good topic for us to discuss
0: well we don't need a poll then kids we're doing uh, tony's year in the wwf there's no sense Ooh. in me putting anything else up against it uh, I was thinking we might talk about some Ronnie Garvin, uh, or we might talk about some old Jim Crockett stuff. Uh, put that on the poll, but you know what you want. We get this question more than any other and Hey, we're doing it and we're doing it next week. Tony's year in the world wrestling Federation. Tune in next week right here at MLW radio. And don't forget to support the show. The best place to do that. Of course, ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. I'm not feeling well. And I've never been happier to say that uh, it's about that time, Tony.
2: It's about that time. Conrad Thompson, who's coming to the ring. Oh, he does not look well at all. It looks like he has the thermometer stuck in the side of his mouth. And now he's making it into the ring. And here comes the nature boy, Ric Flair. And look out in front of him. It's the baby's arm. And it's glistening. And here comes Tommy Young behind the nature boy, Ric Flair. They're walking towards Conrad. Oh, my goodness, with a chair and a run-in. It's Lois Shivani. She raises the chair up. Tommy Young raises up to Lois Shivani, And now Conrad reaches for the baby's arm. We're out of time. The tape machines are rolling. What a clusterfuck we got. And we're coming back next week on What Happened When? Monday on the MLW Radio Network.
1: What I'm holding here is the belt that belongs to the real world's champion. Oh no, not Hulk Hogan. Presently, the man that owns this belt is under contract to another organization. But in the near future, he may be arriving in the World Wrestling Federation. If so, it would be my honor and privilege to be the advisor of this man. Now, you want to compare this belt to Hulk Hogan's? <laughs> that would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You want to compare the man that wears this belt to Hulk Hogan? That would be like comparing ice cream to horse manure. You see, Hulk Hogan is the World Wrestling Federation champion. The man that owns this belt is the real champion, Rick Flair. I could care less your wrestling ability. I could care about your amateur background. You're in the ring now with a professional. I'm gonna go behind that man so much, he's gonna think he's stuck in a revolving door. I'm gonna take him down, take him around, show him the town. I'm gonna reverse, neck snap his neck. I'm gonna dislocate both his shoulders. Then I might just paintbrush until my hands are swollen shut. You take a cat and you put a parakeet in there with him. And all the parakeet does all day long is try to survive. And the cat knocks all the feathers off the bird. And then that little, little, little yellow bird stands there and shivers and freezes. See, Hogan, you're that yellow bird. Andre the Giant is that big cat, and all these other feathers are the the things I'm planning. I wonder if we can talk wrestling here instead of canaries. Sure, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, but don't talk to me about it. I'm Indiana's favorite Bobby. I thought Bobby Knight was... Bobby Knight is definitely Indiana's. Who? Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight basketball fame, Bobby Knight. Oh, Oh, is that Gladys Knight's brother? Let me tell you something, Junkyard Dog. You are in my way. You are in the way of something I dream about. And before this year is over, I want to manage the champion of the world. I want to manage Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. And if you think stepping in front of me with that chain is going to do it, you're badly mistaken. Because if we have to take that chain off you, dog. Take that chain and drag you around that Boston garden, and housebreak break you, we'll do it. No, I want to ask the Reverend, Marks, like no, please, go right have here. you performed uh, many services for the oh. dearly departed? Many, many occasions, many. How hard is it to get the gold out of the teeth? <laughs> just, <I'm> what? just <laughs> ask a question. Do you, you have, have any I idea? I know exactly where I am. Well, let's get to the okay, gym. You just keep your mouth shut, eat a banana, and follow me. Let's go. And you know the pearly gates in heaven? Yeah. It's now going to be called the gorilla position. Goodbye, my friend. Very well said, Bobby the Brain Heenan. The Bobby, Heenan. Bobby Heenan! Bobby Heenan. Bobby the Brain Heenan! Well, I told him today, I said, why don't you get to the ring and compliment everyone? Entertain them. What, what a beautiful-looking beautiful gown you have on. What a nice-looking tie and beautiful children. And then when they say they don't like you, then I say, wait a minute, I just told you I liked you. I gave you compliments. And you turned on me. But see, that's when you take a guy on the lowest level of the business and try to put him in a main event level. Some guys will never make money. Some guys will. I've never, I've never read a wrestling book or watched a wrestling movie or anything like that. Because uh, I think everybody's out there to knock us. And I don't, I don't need to be made a fool if I can do that myself.